0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: If I had a different job, I'm sure it would affect how the last few years have played out. If I had a job where I had to get up at uh, six in the morning to say travel to Boston, and I've considered that. There's been opportunities in Boston. One was an audio engineering opportunity and I considered, hey that's right up my alley audio engineer you know I'll look, wonder if I'd be happy doing that and then I thought about it so it would mean getting up at five in the morning which isn't a problem for me I'm already up but it would mean making sure I'm up at five in the morning you know and being on the road by 630 at the latest so I could beat that bus in traffic that would kill all of the creative time I've ever had. That four to five hours I have to create in the morning would have been gone. So that did play a lot into my decision to not pursue that opportunity because I I would have lost so much. And I won't do it at night because night's not really my creative time. The way my mind works, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I'm mentally exhausted. My creativity would immediately just fall flat.
0: It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com tapiphone tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Rick, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. You know, you're one of these people who is one of our listeners who wrote in. And uh, I remember just looking at the list of things that you had done. And I thought, holy shit, you did all of this since 2016? And I thought I was (laughs) horrific. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as we were just saying, uh, you know, before you hit record here, I know you you mentioned that you did all of this on the side of a day job, which we will get into everything that you've been up to. But before we get into uh, your work and everything that you're up to. Uh, I want to start by asking you where in the world did you grow up and what impacted where you grew up end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career?
1: Well, I grew up I, I'm in New England, uh, New Englander I've been you know living in New England my whole life. and um, as far as you know what impacted me, it's it, it really I would have to say, as far as my um my, uh, my creative outlook in everything I've ever done, it it goes back to comic books. i mm-hmm oddly enough. Um, since I was a kid, I was fascinated by comics. they I, That's what got me to read and what got me into storytelling. Uh, I used to sit there with uh, with a stack of comic books and uh, Spider-Man was my bag when I was a kid and uh, still is actually. Yeah. But uh, I would sit there with A pile of comics and a dictionary for the words I didn't understand, and I remember doing that when I was like six, seven years old, just you know looking at the dictionary, like what does this word mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And being in New England, of course, there's a we have a long winter, um, (laughs) so there's a lot of time to to spend indoors reading. Uh, So that's uh, and a lot of my memories too. I remember the blizzard of seventy eight, going to the the comic book store, walking a mile through through you know knee deep snow just to to get the next batch of comics. Mm -hmm. Um, So New England and i I wouldn't say new england has a lot to do with it but long winters especially do yeah yeah
0: how old were you uh i mean you mentioned you were six i I wonder uh you know what your parents reaction was like to this how they nurtured it what happened to to facilitate this this sort of love for comics and how did you maintain it because i feel like so many kids they have this really sort of wild and odd interest and then it kind of just fades with time
1: Yeah, there is an ebb and flow for sure. Um, I'm going to your question on on my parents. Um, They they were – my father not so much, but my mother was – she always had a book in her hand. But she was also um, big into horror movies. And that was another thing that – As far as storytelling goes and the fascination with storytelling and imaginary worlds, uh, that goes back to the same thing. Um, One of my earliest memories is uh, watching, it's an old classic horror movie called Them about giant ants. Um, I remember being, I was probably five at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I was terrified. It gave me nightmares. But that was where I... It was my one of my earliest memories was was being introduced to you know horror movies and and movies in general storytelling. Um, and I spent a lot of Saturday afternoons parked in front of the television watching um uh, they we had this thing called Creature Double Feature, which was two horror movies back to back at noontime to like three o'clock, you know, like Godzilla and you know all the classic stuff. um so I would spend all of my time doing that the The funny thing about that is um while my, uh, my mother was very, you know, she was, the, she was the same as me. We enjoyed the same type of movies. We still do. Um, my father was, he liked to be outdoors a lot. So I, it irritated him, I think, on those Saturday afternoons when it would be mm-hmm. uh, sunny out that I was indoors watching these old classic horror movies, reading comics um, and doing that. And where I mentioned Evan Flows, there were times... As I got older, um, specifically in my teenage years, where where comic books weren't so cool, so yeah. you kind of set that that part of your life aside, and that's where where I think I had the biggest problem as a creator is during that time. We have all of these competing things for your you know for your attention. You want to fit in, and I never really felt like I fit in. Um, so you had all these things competing f- for your attention, things you wanted to do, things you couldn't do. Um, I always felt that you know it was somewhat. Outside of the crowd, um so I would do whatever I could to to fit in and one of those things unfortunately was setting aside the things I loved mm-hmm. uh and it wasn't until I would say a few years later, actually many years later, that I you know went back to it, went back to <laughs> my roots in a sense, you know air quotes, um going back to storytelling and back to the things I enjoyed doing and not being afraid of what people thought about that um, uh uh-huh. So yeah, it's it's a different seasons. Yeah, so you know, I
0: I I think about this a lot uh, in terms of how we tend to set aside the things we love specifically so that we can fit in to people who don't even give a shit about us uh, or even know our existence, which is is mind boggling. Because to me, this was you know seventh grade, eighth grade, and then you get to ninth grade and you kind of realize that nobody cares about any of this anyways. And I wonder what you would say to parents who see this happening to their kids, giving up the things that they are genuinely interested in and genuinely love in order to fit in and gain the approval of their peers. Cause it's, it's such a, a a double-edged sword, right? You want to encourage the things that they love, but you also want them to have friends. You don't want them to be social outcasts.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, as far as, yeah, I'm a parent myself. Um, yeah. and one of the things I've always encouraged is to expose yourself to as, you know, as many things as you can, cause something's going to take. Um, uh-huh. it, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm a quiet guy, but I also played hockey. So, it, and I was a goaltender, which is the, you know, you, you, that's probably the, the oddest position on the team because you are by yourself, although you're part of the team, which was perfect for me. Um, <laughs> And one of the things that uh, as far as where I was going with that is, you know, I introduced my son to hockey and and he got into it, but I also, I also didn't want to hold him back from doing the things that he enjoyed. Um He also likes basketball, which I, I can't, I can't dribble, you know, to save my life. Um <laughs> So he's, you know, he's into basketball, he's into it and he's into some things that I'm not. And I always encourage that. Uh And he's, I think it's helped him more so than when I was his age, and mm-hmm. felt like um, that's the best way to put it. I always felt the need to fit in. It, yeah. It's a, it was a, obviously a different world. We didn't have social media and, a, and even cell phones when I was younger. Uh-huh. So you know, for him, he's exposed to a lot more. And I've always I've always said to him, you know, if it interests you, pursue it. Who gives a shit what other people think? Yeah. Um, and he's he's actually he's following that. And it amazes me, and I and I'm very envious at times because I wish I was his age again, so I could, uh-huh. you know, with with his knowledge. Um, so yeah, it's uh, he's hopefully going to have an easier time of it than I did. Well, it's funny because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Van Wilder. Uh,
0: but- oh yeah. <laughs> So one of the things that struck me about that movie is I saw it, you know, well after I graduated from college. And when I went, when I saw that, I thought, Jesus, I'm like, what an idiot I was. I would have literally (laughs) joined every ethnic club in Berkeley's (laughs) campus, joined every student organization. And my friend was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I would have joined the Hillel house to meet Jewish girls. I would have joined the Filipino club to meet Filipino girls. And I thought, so that's what this is all about, right? I was like, yeah, of course. But at the same time, I think that that movie made me see that, wait a minute, you could navigate the social dynamics of college without trying to fit in. In fact, by standing out so much that you fit into every right. single group. And I, I remember seeing that and it, thinking, wow, if this was my approach to my social life, where you basically said, I'm not trying to fit in. I'm trying to accept everybody. Like how different would my college of experience have been? You know? Yeah. Don't you
1: wish I, I would love, I would love to be like that today. Yeah. You know, it's, just, you know, and it's, you know, I have a day job. So th- there's certain things that I can or can't do if I want to keep this day job. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I would, I would love to live that lifestyle from from Van Wilder. Maybe I'll try that on experiment for a month, living like Van Wilder for <laughs> one go. month. That'll, be, a good book. That'll
0: yeah. be your next book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, instead of a year of living biblically, a year of living like Van Wilder. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That,
1: great example. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, So what happened, uh, post high school, like, you know, what did you end up doing and then how did you find your way back to all of this creative work?
1: Yeah. Um, that was a long haul. So, you know, one of the things about wanting to always fit in and, and kind of going down this straight path, you know, you know, straight out of high school, um, you, you I immediately jumped into having a family, having a job, having responsibilities, having a mortgage, have, you know, all, all the things that I thought I needed to do to fit in. Um, and it wasn't working. I always felt like there was something missing. Family life was wonderful. That's, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about that, but it was everything outside of that. I always felt there was something missing. And I would ask myself, you know, you know what's missing? But I never really asked the right question, which is, you know, what do you want to do? you know, what is it you really want to do? Um, and it was right. I, and like I said, I would, I'd been writing ever since I was a kid. And a lot of my earliest writing was trying to emulate the, what I'd read in comic books. So I wish I still had that stuff, all that shit's gone. But if I, I used to, I used to try to recreate the stories I would read. Um, and as I got older, I had set all that aside, you know, and, you know, flash forward, you know, you're an adult now, all these responsibilities. Um, I realized, you know, I want to start writing again. So I did. And and the attempts were, you know, few and far between. I would write a little bit here, write a little bit there, be a few chapters here. I'd look at it. it, It'd read like shit. I'd start over or start a new project. So it was kind of, it was kind of slow going at first. I, I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to do it or how to start with everything else that was going on. So then you asked how I got back to it. It was, it was, oddly enough, podcasting. Uh, I'd heard about podcasting. This was back in 2000. I want to say 2010 2011 ish, somewhere around there. Um, Started listening to podcasts, fell in love with them. There was, uh, I don't need to tell you you how cool they are and how much of, of them there are out there to listen to There's something for everybody. So started listening to podcasts. And I thought, you know what, I could, I could do this. And I you know, dabbled around with audio equipment and such. You know, I play guitar and everything, so I had the audio stuff, had the audio equipment, and mixers and everything. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to try my hand at podcasting. It, it would allow me to write. It would allow me to play with audio. Um, this is well before I get into the audio dramas and scripting and everything. So one of my first shows was a, uh, a show called Philosophy Walk. Uh, it's gone now, but it was out there for about 60 episodes where I would talk about philosophy. And I had a blast with it because one of my favorite shows at the time was Radiolab. And if you've ever listened to Radiolab, they have sound effects, they have music. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun to listen to. It wasn't just you know one guy talking into a mic. Yeah. And although my show was just going to be me talking into a mic, it wasn't going to be an interview show. I wanted to kind of capture that feeling. Uh, I wanted to entertain as well as educate. So I would, I would play around with effects and music and all of that. Um, and then the next show I did was another, it was a science education show called Evolution Talk. And that one's still out there. It's like 70 plus episodes. That one is far and above, way better than that earlier attempt was with Philosophy Walk. And this one got a lot of traction. It, 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 people started noticing. I, I did do some interviews on that show. Um, and in particular, one, of the partic- uh, one episode was episode 30, and it was a, a, a fictional interview with Charles Darwin. So it was my first attempt to kind of build, um, you know, a fictional world with, with Foley effects and a voice artist. Um, and he was great. The guy who played Darwin, uh, and that's what kind of set me on the path to do audio drama. I had so much fun with that episode. I thought, you know what, I once, once I get through evolution talk and it started to, uh, kind of run its course, I'm going to pursue audio drama. Uh and that's when things really took off. I mean that opened so many doors for me. That's that's how I ended up doing post production for Marvel. Um doing Marvel Digital Entertainment there a couple of their podcasts for a while before they brought it all in house. Yeah. But that's how that's kind of how I got back to it was was podcasting and wanting to try it myself and and I just never stopped. Then everything everything I do is with an eye on, you know, what's what's the next thing I want to create? What's the next thing I want to work on? Whether it be books or music or audio drama or uh-huh. production, audio production. Um, that's my day job. I've, I don't even think about that unless yeah. I'm actually in it during those eight hours. Once I step away from it, it's, it's creative time.
0: Well, this is so fascinating to me because... I think that the one thing that I noticed you said multiple times was you were just having so much fun with it. You didn't even mention traction until you got to the second piece. And I was like, wait a minute, you did 70 episodes without knowing. And I wonder... Because I think that, you know, I mean, I wrote an entire book about this and even as the guy who wrote a book about it, I struggled with this message of, of creativity for its own sake, but you seem to really have embodied that particularly early on where you just did this thing for fun. So if people are caught up in this sort of, you know, why am I doing this? If it's not leading anywhere or, you know, if the metrics aren't where they want to be, how do you get them back to, you know, kind of what you had going into this? And did it change as you became more successful? Do you find it harder to have that same sort of mindset as you actually started seeing traction?
1: No, not at all. Um, I, I, I still don't, uh, I think, and I say that with a little bit of trepidation is I think if I started making a lot of money at this, it would be wonderful. I wouldn't turn it away, but I <laughs> sure. think if it turned into my job, it would be a, t- a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know that cause that hasn't happened. Uh, that does, I, there's a little bit of concern there. Um, although I would still, I'd love to give that a shot and have this be what I do for, for a living. Uh-huh. But right now I do it because it's, this is where I get my energy. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm an introvert and introverts get their energy by, you know, their, your energy gets drained a lot quicker. Um, in social situations, you know, everyday life and such, um, you need time alone or a time away from it all. It doesn't mean you're antisocial; it just means you need, you know, time to recharge. Um, and I, I do, I do quite a bit. And part of that time is writing and thinking um, and creating. That's where where the love of it is. If this, if it turned into um, something else, where it was a full time job, and it, maybe it wouldn't be. It, I would never stop doing it, but I, maybe the joy would disappear. I don't know. I, like I said, I haven't experienced that yet, but um going back to go ahead. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting
0: uh, sort of tension, right? Because on the one hand, you know, you have this day job that you like, and it frees you up to be incredibly creative, but the moment that you, you know, have the success that allows you to do this thing full time, which you've always wanted. Suddenly, it's no longer you. You kind of lose that freedom. And I, I remember thinking the same thing. Like when I first started, because I had a day job, it was liberating. I didn't have to think about oh, how do I monetize this? How do I make money off of it? Uh, how do I grow? Yeah, it? I'm right. going to do this. And I, I honestly think that was a blessing in disguise. And and the funny thing is that you know I think we live in a world that has perpetuated this mantra of you know get out of your job, quit your job, you know, leave the nine to five, live the four hour work, become a nomad, almost to a fault to the point where people <laughs> feel as if there's something wrong with them
1: if they're not doing that. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And and I always I always kind of joke that because you know I'm asked a lot. You know, how do you even afford to do the things you do, like with the audio dramas? Uh, I pay all the voice artists. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't ask them to do it for free. Uh, and I always say, you know, I'm kind of like my own venture capitalist. I have a day job, but that's what funds my passions. Uh-huh. Um, if I didn't have that, thank God I have that day job because I, you know, one it puts a roof over my head and insurance and everything else. But it also funds the things I enjoy doing, like uh, my guitar. I I bought a new amp last weekend. I wouldn't have been able to do that without the day job.
0: Mm. So I think there's something, another thing that's really interesting about um, what you've said here. You know, earlier you brought up, you know, marriage, kids, basically what we all refer to as responsibilities. And so often, I think that people will use their responsibilities as reasons for not doing things that they say they want to do. And I wonder Absolutely. why do you think that is and how did they stop doing that? Or how did you stop doing it? It doesn't sound like you ever did, but uh, how would you suggest people stop using their responsibilities as reasons to avoid the things they care about?
1: You know, um, a lot of the things I hear is, well, I would, I would venture to guess part of it is fear you know, um, uh, fear of rejection, fear of not being good enough. And I struggled with that early on too. Like, you know, no one's going to listen to the things I'm putting together and, you know, who am I to think I can do this? And um, of course, none of that is true. It's all just, you know, self, you know, negative talk. Um, but as far as, as far as what would I say to somebody and, and I've had this conversation a lot with friends and one of the things that, that I take a, a, a lot of joy in is when my friends see what I've been able to do, this, this, there's one, two, three people, um, in my life that they've taken up the mantle of writing. They they've started writing. One of them was published. Um, they picked up all of these things because they, I think in a sense they said, well, you know, look what Rick's doing. You know, why I should try that. Um, and that's, that's why I've just started my first nonfiction book, which is all about that. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm hoping, uh, I'm about halfway through that now, but, but yeah, the, I, I would tell somebody that you, one of the biggest things I would have to say is is also time, people say, you know, I just don't have the time, I'd love to do that. Uh, well, you do, you do have the time, it's just make the time. Yeah. Um, what I do, and it's a habit now is, I get up at four o'clock every morning, that gives me four hours before I even have to think about the day job, sometimes five hours. So I've got four to five hours of creative time before I have to even Con- you know, jump in the shower. Uh, and four o'clock in the morning is the best time for me. I, you know, have just gotten up, I have some coffee, no social media, nothing. I don't even check the news. I don't even know what, what went on in the world before I, you know, while I was sleeping. Um, my mind is completely clear and I can focus on writing. Uh, you know, if I'm in the middle of pr- producing a show, I can focus on the audio and the Foley and creating effects and all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I, you do have the time. It's just, you have to find it. For me, it's the morning. For somebody else, it could be the evening. Maybe some people, I have a friend who's a writer. He writes during his lunchtime. He also writes in the morning. Sometimes he wakes up at 3am with an idea and he hops out of bed and writes. Uh-huh. He has a full-time job. He does it. Yeah. Um, so and He also has a podcast. So it, it can be done. Yeah, it's
0: it's one of those things where I realize, I I remember Laura Vanderkam said basically everything that you say you don't have time for is just not a priority. Yeah, 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 I like that. Yeah, And and that really struck me because I I realized how true that was in everything. I thought, you know, if if anything matters to you, somehow you always find the time for it. Like if you really want to go on a date with someone, somehow your schedule magically frees up. (laughs) Whereas if you don't, you're always busy. Um, it's, and I think it's the same thing here. Uh, you know, I, I think it's such a, a big, big thing and, and we don't think about it in that way at all. Uh, so I, I wonder one thing that I, I also know is that, you know, from this, you are also incredibly prolific. I, I mean, can you give us the actual numbers? I remember you wrote in and I just, I was looking at it right before we pressed record and I was just like, holy crap. When I saw that, and then you told me you had a day job. I thought, why do people make, like, nobody has any excuses after they hear this. So I just kind of want to have you <laughs> tell me what the actual volume of, of creative work that you've done is, because I, I just was so taken aback by it.
1: Okay. Uh, let me see. Yeah, actually, I might be able to, um, cause sometimes I forget everything I've done. Let me see if I yeah. can, uh, just give me one moment here. Well, while, while I'm waiting for it to come up, if I, if I don't see it immediately. So, um, there was the, the two podcasts I mentioned, the educational uh-huh. ones. So those, and this all happened from 2012 to 2016. I did the philosophy walk and the evolution talk podcast. So we're talking, oh, there was a couple others in there too. So four different shows during 2012 and 2016, they were all kind of educational shows. The only one that still exists is evolution talk. Um, from 2016, that's where things really kind of took off for me It's when I really had the I would say the schedule down pat where where I don't even have to set the alarm anymore I usually wake up automatically between 3:30 and 4 um that's and since 2016 I have 11 audio dramas done um they're all out there to listen to I've built five websites cuz I'm also a developer too um I think I might have mentioned that I don't remember uh built three iPhone apps during that time, it's, I learned how to code, taught myself how to code on top of all of these other things. Um, so I have the three iPhone apps, uh, written five books, um, not published yet, but I have a, an agent who's shopping uh, two of them around right now as we speak. Um, they're fictional. Uh, two of them are based off of a couple of the shows that are audio fiction. Um, they've, I've adapted them into novels. I have a, a script for one of them, a screenplay. I wrote that. Uh, let's see what else do I have out there. I, I'm missing. Oh, the Marvel. You know, working on Marvel's podcasts. Uh-huh. I've produced episodes of the Creepy Podcast. It's a, a kind of anthology horror podcast. Um, and I'm also right now producing a a detective or kind of a true crime fiction podcast, which will be out sometime this summer. Um, I was hired uh-huh. to do um, to be executive producer on that. Uh let's see. I'm missing something, but that's that all that's happened since two thousand sixteen <laughs> wow okay that, that's I mean that's just a remarkable
0: volume of work. You mentioned that you get up in the morning uh, and I want—I do want to come back to uh, your or your habits, but I, I think that what I wonder more about is the mindset that's allowed you to persist because I think that, you know, we we're just talking about the fact that I'm writing a new book called make more art, which is about how to be a prolific creator. And I thought to myself, wow, how coincidental that I'm talking to probably one of the most prolific creators I've had the chance to interview. Um, what do you, what do you think it is if from a mindset standpoint that enables you
1: to do this? It's uh, you know it's it's almost a a drive, um, and it's not a drive in a bad way. Uh, I, I don't want it to sound negative um, at all, but it's it's a love of creating. That's really what it is. Because I have <laughs> what kills me is there's so many shiny objects. And when I say shiny objects, I'm talking about ideas and things I'd like to write about or pursue. And of course, you can't do them all. Um, it's probably part of the reason why I've done so many, but it's, I'm constantly thinking about new things I would like to pursue, um, new stories I'd like to write. And it always starts with one. For me, it starts with an image. Oh, and it could hit me at any time I was on. My most successful show is the behemoth. Um, it's an audio drama. It's, it has got to be somewhere close to know, half a million downloads now doing really well. And that's how I got my, uh, how I ended up, um, finding my agent was through the novel adaptation of the behemoth. But, um, to answer your question, you know, inspirational strike me anywhere. I was on an exercise bike when I thought about that story. Um, and I didn't have my phone with me. So I had to keep repeating the story, you know, the kind of the premise over and over in my head all the way home. So I wouldn't forget it because I knew I wanted to write the story, Mm -hmm. got home, you know, wrote down some quick notes, um, and started that. And, you know, that kind of launched me on my audio drama career. It ended up because of that, all these audio dramas got me, um, interviewed on, uh, New Hampshire Chronicle, which is an ABC station or ABC show, uh, ABC affiliate here. So I had, it was featured on that, but the, um, as far as when I get back, going back to the drive, it's just, I, I love creating. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, God forbid I lost my job tomorrow, it would suck, but I would still be creating all day long. While I'm you know, looking for another job, but it's, I can't stop. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know really how to answer that, except it's, it's something when I mentioned coding, I taught myself how to code and uh, yeah, it, it's whenever I think of something, Hey, I'd like to learn how to do that. I just dive into it. Um, maybe I'm pulled in too many directions, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, but the things I've <laughs> been able to do, they, uh, at least, I don't think they suck (laughs) and and they seem Mm -hmm. to be doing really well. So hopefully, you know, know, hopefully I'm not, um, (laughs) you know, wearing myself too thin and all this stuff.
0: Do you think that's innate or do you think that that is something that has developed over time through habit, through repetition, through to really like changing your behavior to to basically
1: facilitate what you want to do? it's definitely changing my behavior. Um, it, it is through repetition, because uh, I didn't used to get up at 4 a.m. If you had told me even five years ago, what I would have accomplished in the last two years, I would have said, you're crazy. This is no way I, w- I probably would have said, I wouldn't have the time. I would have been one of those people mm-hmm. that said, I don't have the time to do it. Um, yeah. but it is through repetition. It is you, I don't, I'm not big on checklists, I used to be when I was when I was younger, but now it's just I know I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. I know I'm going to write for at least two hours after those two hours. It's usually kind of when I stop writing, whatever it is I'm working on, be it a a script or a book or something. Um, And then I'll Mm -hmm. turn to, okay, so I have some more time. What am I going to work on next? Oh, I'll work on post-production for this show I'm working on. Um, I'll do that for an hour. Uh, I also want to learn slide guitar, so I'll pick. I'll say, okay, I got a half hour. I'm going to noodle around with the guitar, um, and I do that yeah. on even during my day job I work remote. So if I'm on a conference call that I don't have to actually say anything on, I'm sitting there playing <laughs> guitar. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> don't t- don't don't tell them that, but that, <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. there listening to the call playing guitar on while I'm on mute. So it's okay. um, yeah, it's it's just a it's a constant need to express, uh, it's probably the best way to put it. And as far as, yeah, yeah, yeah. You absolutely, you can. Yeah. So
0: I wonder, this is another thing I always wonder about people who are so multiplay multidisciplinary, uh, when it comes to the various art forms, because I, I realize in a lot of ways, I think I'm very much multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary as well, because I create animated shorts, I create books, I write, I produce the podcast and, So one of the things I wonder always, uh, particularly with musicians, is is how every art form influences the other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's there's a lot of bleed over. Um, I mentioned that, you know, I used to even before podcasting used to dabble with audio um i was always a wannabe musician never really that good at it of all the things i i can do that's the one thing i'm just not that good at but i love to do it so i had all the all the equipment um so i always played around with audio so when i got into podcasting it was very easy for me because i had that audio background wasn't an expert in it but it was enough to be able to podcast uh and because i had also been writing since i was you know a kid Um, podcasting allowed me to, to write as well, whether it be to script the, the shows I was doing or to write the, the notes for the show or or whatever the case may be. So you had that bleed over. You had my writing skills, you had the audio skills I was able to bring to podcasting, bring to the audio fiction. Um, my love of old radio drama. That was, that was one of the things I had to fail to mention that my dad was big into radio drama because he grew up during the time of, of old time radio. So when I was young, he had some of those old vinyls of those shows. So in the back of my head, when podcasting came out, and I heard my first you know modern audio drama as a podcast, I thought, you know what, I can do that too, just like the shows I used to listen to. So I brought writing into that. Um, my love of music went into those shows, and then when it comes when it came to websites. Uh, I, I wanted to start to play around and kind of customize my own website. So I learned how to code, brought that into it. So all of the different things that I that I enjoy doing and all the creative outlets I have, they can all come together in this one form. It's it's the perfect art form for me when it comes to building yeah. an audio show. Uh, I can't think of a better way to do it because everything I love to do is encased in those those shows. Um, and then I can pursue writing outside of that and whatever else I want to do. So this is just for, for personal morbid
0: curiosity how does an audio drama actually come to life? Because I've often thought about various ideas in which I was like, ah, I don't have the editing skills for that. So, you know, I'll give you an example, which is actually going to start yeah. very soon. Um, I, so I, you know, the, the weeks before my sister's wedding, I downloaded the story corpse app and you know, the premise of story corpse for anybody who doesn't know is pretty simple. Like everybody has a story. And, uh, so I was like, oh, okay, you know what? I want to interview members of my family and I want to have them tell me their stories. And I got I one of them out of my cousin, uh, who told me the entire story about how she met her husband and, and you know she gave me a whole glimpse into arranged marriage. And I, of course I animated oh, wow. it, made a whiteboard video out of it and put it on Facebook and then yeah. she shared it. And like hundreds of her friends commented, the thing had like 2000 views. And I thought, okay, that's my next podcast. And I'd always oh, cool. had this idea where I wanted to start a podcast where I was going to tell one person's story through three different lenses. And I thought, okay, that sounds like an editing nightmare. And then I realized, yeah. I like, wait a minute, I could tell the same story. I could just split it up into three different interviews. Uh, so that's actually literally I, in my pipeline right now is, is a new podcast specifically about how people met other with a first season focused on arranged marriage uh, and we've got two wow. episodes done and in, in the queue i'm just kind of i'm waiting for the third interview to get that done and i didn't want to launch with just one one story i wanted to launch with at least two or three but you know, like sure. I realize when I, when I listen to NPR or any of these kinds of stories, I always think, wow, like, how do they do this edit? How do they create the narrative that leads to this? Yeah, um, I can identify nuggets within our own conversations here to the point where I can translate them into individual animations. But when I looked at that, that, that was part of why I'd always kind of thought I, I, there's no way, like no matter how many books I read about it. So given that I'm talking to you, what does the creative process look like for how something like this comes together?
1: yeah that's that's yeah I, I love that you asked that and if you ever need help with it let me know cause I <laughs> that that's uh that's my bag I, I will probably take you up on that <laughs> yeah and, and i absolutely mean it too i love doing it but uh to answer your question I mean, how does it all come together well you also too have to remember a lot of the shows out there they have a team of people you know they yeah. have people do, they have the writers they have you know people that do you know do the editing and and kind of you know Pro, you know, you have production, you have sound engineers. They probably have a team of 11 to 12 people behind some of the successful shows out there, like NPR yeah. stuff. Um, I'm just a one man, one man show, uh, one man production company. Although I do have the voice artist. That's the one thing I, you know, I can't do myself. So how it all comes together, it starts with a script, obviously. Um, so you have for, for the shows I do, even the, even the shows that were educational started with a script um once you have the script and the, and the way i write the script is i've been doing it so long now <laughs> i say so long but it's only been a handful of years but it feels like a long time but been doing it so long now when i'm writing a script it's, especially one that has to do with um audio i'm constantly thinking okay how how will i present this in an audio way because it's not a visual medium how do i yeah paint a canvas, um, using the listener's mind, you know, how can I place them in the middle of Chicago in a city I've never been to? How do I do that? Um, so as I'm writing the script, I'm making notes, um, in the script, you know, his, his, what the sound needs to be. And I worry about all that later. I just, this is what I'm going to build. I'll I'll write my script. Once the script's done, mm-hmm. I'll um I'll go through it and start saying, okay, here's here's the sound design I'm gonna need to build. Here's the worlds I'm gonna need to build. I I'm gonna need to be in a field in this scene, so I'm gonna need the sound of maybe crickets. If it is it at night, is there frogs or is there a river nearby? Um you I think about those kind of things. Um and then I start i I also listen to i listen to a lot of audio obviously a lot of yeah. podcasts and audio dramas and such and you get to um you hear voices uh, of of different people that'll fit a character. I don't usually hold auditions I usually reach out to people who i think will be good for a role um I'll ask uh-huh. them if they'll be interested and tell them about the character and 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 what the the pay is um and i've I've been really lucky with the talent i've worked with amazing voice artists so and, and they're all over the world. They're all done. I do this all remotely for the most part. We've had a few live, you know, where everyone's together recording, but most of the time it's remote. So once, once I have that, I'll send them out their scripts. We'll have a read through where everyone's like on Skype or or something and we'll, we'll read through the script mm-hmm. and that, that'll help me um, get a feeling for are there any slow parts or uh, once you hear it all out loud, it, it kind of You kind of pick up on those nuances so i'll revise the script send it back out we'll have another read through then the artist will start sending in their lines and that's when that's where the tricky part comes in because you get you're getting lines from maybe 12 different voice artists and and you have to make it sound like they're all in the same room together so and they're using different Mm -hmm. microphones they're in different recording environments Um, and that's another thing which people a lot of people who who do this type of work this is the part they hate, but for me, this is where it all, where the fun is, because it, it's like putting together a puzzle. It's like taking a line yeah. here, a line there, or you know, somebody says something, but they said it. Half the sentence sounded really good on this take; the second half sounded really good on that take, and then you kind of put them together, <laughs> and, and it's seamless. And when it's seamless, yeah. it's magic, and and it just kind of makes you want to keep going. Um, I know and that feeling.
0: I, yeah,
1: yes, I am. And then there's. I could just keep going. I could talk about this all day, but I don't know. Yeah, what, am no, I answering your yeah, question?
0: <laughs> yeah, no. You, you literally just—it's funny. The moment you said scenes and sound design, I had a moment of insight. Of oh, wait a minute like now I know how to set this thing to music that I hadn't thought about before. Like my cousin and walking into this, you know, arranged oh, marriage cool. situation. Perfect. The first yes. time. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. And I thought, wow, wait a minute. And you know, it was funny because even her husband, like it was amazing because I had two people telling the same story and it still sounded like two different stories uh, because he told it to me from his perspective, at, you know, after he saw hers. And I, I, then I finally said, you know, both of you guys mentioned your, your family. So I think I need to talk to one other person, which is my cousin's sister. And she said, well, I'll, I'll make the introduction <laughs> so that, you know, yeah. that would be the third right. layer. And then I was, I was going to go to my parents right. after that and say, OK, you know what? I want to have you guys tell your story of how you met. And I thought, you know, this will be so this is actually the first season of an idea that um, I've been just like I said, I've recorded two episodes and I, I've been I, I knew that I wanted to do it very differently than I do Unmistakable. And yeah. um, so it's it's been kind of one of those sort of you know projects of I'm not gonna even have a website for it. I was like, let me find the easiest way to start that I can't. Uh but oh, uh, cool. people who are listening to this, you'll you'll you know, you'll know it at some point because we will release the first episode on our feed here. But um Oh, good, good. It was uh yeah, it was just one of those things where I just saw it, I was like, Oh, this could be a really fun project. So that's but yeah, it was that was part of the reason I asked was very selfishly. Uh one <laughs> thing I wonder, yeah. you know, as somebody who has kept your day job, uh, you yeah. know, it, it's funny because there's a guy that we wrote about and in, in, or I wrote about an audience of one a guy named Karan Bajaj who was also a guest here on Unmistakable Creative and he actually had three or four novels that were incredibly successful uh, so much so that one of them was optioned for a movie and he still didn't quit his day job he actually is the GM at Discovery Channel India and he told me he said my wow. dharma is to be in business um, he said I think not making a living of my art is the best thing I could have ever done for it because I don't ever write for my audience for her market. And yeah, success, exactly. I think I've been more successful as a result. So I wonder in, from your vantage point, um, how do you actually measure your success? Like what do you quant- how do you, how do you look at success when, when this is your, your worldview? Because you don't have to make a living off of this thing.
1: Yeah. Um, I measure, how do I measure my success? Uh, that's, that's a good one. I, I used to, I used to uh, be one of those stats, you know, stats yeah. fiends where you're constantly checking your stats. I, I gave that up a long time. I could go crazy uh, looking at the stats oh, yeah. and download numbers and all that. I, I I used to, you know, it's funny when I first started doing it, that's how I would judge how successful it is. How many people are listening? You know, what kind of reviews am I getting? Am I getting reviews? As You know, am I getting any feedback whatsoever? Um, but I think the way I, I guess that, you know, The way I look at it is the stuff I'm putting out there, I know resonates with somebody because I do hear from from people who listen and appreciate the shows. Um, That to me is success. When somebody reaches out to me and says, Hey, I love the Behemoth, or you know, Inhales one of the best superhero dramas I've listened to, and I can't believe it's audio. Or one of the biggest compliments I received was on a show Pixie I had done. It was more of a it's a family oriented show about a, a lonely demon, um, the devil's daughter, uh, audio, and that was one of the one I poured my heart and soul into that when building the sound design. It was the last one I did, so it's probably the most advanced because you learn a little bit along the way. Has um, the biggest cast; it's an international cast. Um, somebody said, you know, this should be a Disney movie. You know, I feel like I'm listening to a Disney movie. That alone is success to me. Just the fact that that there's somebody out there in this world, I don't know who that person was. It was just a review, but they loved it enough that they shared it with their children. And, And then there's another... I was on Instagram one time around the same time I released that show where, where somebody filmed their, their kid talking about the show. And I'm like, you know, that's cool. That's success. That's, I don't care mm-hmm. if there's any money who follows it. I, the fact that there's a, a child somewhere who's going 10 years from now, remember the show Pixie that she l- used to listen to. Um, that's cool to me.
0: Yeah. Wow. I love that because it's one of those intangible, uh, immeasurable outcomes. Yeah. Great. One thing that, uh, this is a, this is a really strange tangent, so forgive it, but I figure since I'm talking to you, David Brooks recently had a new book come out called the second mountain. It was the follow-up to the road to character. And it's, a really beautiful book. And he talks uh, about sort of, you know, vocation as well as, you know, marriage and intimacy. And, and he said that, you know, being married is probably the single most, you know, who you marry is the most important decision you'll make in your life. and. I, I, th- I saw that and I thought, okay, wow, that's, that's interesting. As a, as a single 41 year old guy, I'm kind of like, okay, good. I'm glad I didn't marry the girls that I, I you know, knew it wasn't going to work out <laughs> with uh, yeah. right from the get go. But what, it, what that made me yeah. want to ask somebody, just because I was writing about it this morning, was you know, what do you think are the most important decisions that people have to make in their lives?
1: That's a huge one. Um, I like that one about who you marry because I could not do the things I am doing right now if I didn't have my. My wife, her support, Um, she's incredible. And when I mentioned teaching myself how to code, uh, one of the things that that entailed was going to a, um, a boot camp, a developer's boot camp, and that was in Boston. So it meant I had to live in Boston for three months. And... And in the winter, so I don't know if you've ever been to New England, but our winters can be a little little crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, you have snowstorms, you have nor'easters. And so she was all alone during all of this. Um, she was, you know, taking care of things while, while I was in Boston at this boot camp for three months. Um, I couldn't have done that without her and without her support. So definitely who your partner is, is, is key if you have a partner. Um, their support means the world. Uh I don't know what the last few years would have been like if I didn't have a partner who supported that or understood that that this is something Rick needs to do. You know, the mornings are his time. Um yeah, that that's that's probably the the biggest one I would say. It really is is who you know who you uh who your partner is. Yeah. What's the other one? Or what's one of the other ones? Oh, one of the other ones.
0: Um, Keep in mind, I'm just doing research for my blog post. <laughs> it just happened to have, you know. Fortunately, I happen to have
1: somebody to talk yeah, about this with. So, yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can help you with that. All right. So, something else that a uh, uh, big decision. Uh, you know, a job, you know, what you do yeah. for a living does play into it. I don't know if. That's as big as the first thing that we just talked about. Um, yeah. But the job I have does afford me the fact that I work remote is huge because it means I I can make use of every minute up to the moment where I have to, you know, be on, you know, be on for my day job, you know, be there and yeah. be present for it. So then once I'm there, I'm present for my day job for what eight hours or so, sometimes a little longer. But but then I can shut it all down, leave the office walk downstairs and spend the rest of the evening with my wife or doing something else. If, you know, if I'm working on something, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like I said, noodling around with a guitar or something, but if I had a different job, I'm sure it would affect how the last few years have played out. If I had a job where I had to get up at uh, six in the morning to say, travel to Boston. And I've considered that there's been opportunities in Boston. One was an audio engineering opportunity. And I considered, Hey, that's right up my alley. Audio engineer, you know, I'll look, wonder if I'd be happy doing that. And then I thought about it. So it would mean getting up at five in the morning, which isn't a problem for me. I'm already up, but it would mean making sure I'm up at five in the morning, you know, and being on the road by 630 at the latest. So I could beat that bus in traffic that would kill all of the creative time I've ever had. That four to five hours I have to create in the morning would have been gone. So that did play a lot into my decision to not pursue that opportunity because i i would have lost so much and i won't do it at night because night's not really my creative time i can't the way my mind works at the end of the day i'm exhausted i'm mentally exhausted um yeah i I, wouldn't my create my creativity would would immediately just fall flat Hmm. Ah. well i have two final questions did that help did that answer yeah yeah, it totally did
0: Totally. So I have two last questions for you. Uh, and this is one that I've stolen from somebody else. Uh, what's one book that changed your life?
1: Alright, <laughs> uh, One so book that there's two, um, but I'll, I'll stick with my first thought uh, because I mentioned comics earlier. It was the very first Spider-Man uh-huh. comic I ever read changed my life. Um, Awesome. I can still I can still I can still remember it. I can remember the cover. I can remember the issue. I can remember what went on in the issue. I remember who the the villain was. I remember the feeling of holding that comic and wondering who the hell is Spider-Man. Um I that changed my life because that that's from that po- moment on, I never stopped reading. I, I mm-hmm. obviously I read, you know, books and everything as I get older, but as a kid, I mean it was perfect. Um the second book it was Tale of Two Cities, um Sydney Carton, the the protagonist slash antagonist in some sense in that book is my favorite character in, in anything I've ever read. Um, and I, I read that book every two or three years. So I'll pick it up again and read it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the, the depth of that character, uh, something I I'd, I'd love to create a character as deep as Sidney Carton. Wow.
0: Well, I have one final question for you, which I know you've heard me ask. Uh, what sure. do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Yes, um, authentic. Because uh, when when I think about when you've asked this question before, I, obviously I, I've thought about that, and you know I think unmistakable, creative, um, unmistakable obviously means what it means. But being you know unmistakable, unmistakable, creative is being authentic, being different, um, being yourself, and not not caring what others think. Uh, You can usually tell when you see, and I don't care what the medium is, be it painting or or podcasting or writing or (laughs) making a quilt, whatever it is. If if you're doing it the way you want to do it, uh, it's unmistakably creative.
0: Amazing. Um, well, this has been really, really uh, wonderful. I'm so glad that you wrote in. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you're up to? i imagine they're probably going to have to go to about 50 different <laughs> websites, given how much you've
1: <laughs> Yeah, there actually are uh, quite a few, but I, I would I would say um, the first place to start would be rickcoast.com. Um, Coast is C-O-S-T-E. Uh, that would be the... From there, you can find everything else. Um, the only other one I would mention is modernaudiodrama.com. That's where all my shows are, all my audio fiction shows, audio drama shows. Um, those are all mine at, at, that, uh, at that site. But rickcoast.com, you can find everything. You can find links to, to find me on Twitter. And I have a Facebook page, which I don't visit a whole lot, but, but that's there. But um, I'd love to hear from people. So this contact page and everything there. Awesome.